This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast, a weekly show to help you prioritize your health, happiness, and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane. Enjoy the podcast. Carolyn. Hi. Thanks Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the podcast. So let's launch straight in. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? So um, I know that you're a teacher and you have um, had a bit of an ongoing journey with your health and well-being. So tell us the path you've taken to get where you are now. Mm, Yeah, it feels like quite a long journey. Uh, So I started teaching about, hard to remember, maybe 15 or 20 years ago. And I moved from from a big city, from Melbourne, to a small country town called Talangata in Victoria and taught there for what ended up to be seven years. And uh, I found it a really supportive place to work for quite a long time, you know, a, a load of older teachers that had been there for a long time and um, and knew their stuff. And Is they knew their primary stuff. school? No, this was secondary, so I was teaching mostly maths and a bit of science. Um, and, you know, my first year out was, despite the support of the school, incredibly hard. And uh, I really feel, looking back, like I clawed myself through that first year. Yep. Uh, and then it was easier in the second year and then again in the third. And, you know, my feeling was that by the time I got to five years there, I I had it covered. I knew what I was doing I knew where the workload was going to be heavier, you know, which times of year. And uh, I had a head of department position by that point, so I was head of maths. Oh, wow. Um, and and I was doing a lot of extra um, professional development and I was on the curriculum committee and delivering um, PD to cluster schools, so all the private schools that would feed into our secondary school Um we were all part of one big cluster, so we would do a lot of professional development together. And that helped me to grow a lot as a teacher and I learnt an incredible amount about how to be an effective teacher and how to focus on quality rather than quantity work and, and also it was really important for quality too. And for me that was really and still is where teaching is at. It's it's about connection, like authentic connection with students and about uh, a quality experience that you create together in the classroom. And so coming from that point of view shifted the way I taught from uh, the way that I'd learned at uni and the way I'd perhaps been taught in high school myself um, towards something that felt more holistic for me. And I really, I loved that interface um, between the students and I in that small school. Uh, but then, you know, as journeys do, <laughs> um, it took a turn that I wasn't really expecting. I I started to feel like I'd outgrown the school and this was maybe six or seven years in and the next steps that were being spoken about were um, higher leadership positions and personally for me, I knew I needed to get out, I needed to broaden rather than stay in the one place that I was in. Uh, but because I'd been teaching in a, in a quite lovely country school, the idea of 
going to some of the more uh, challenging regional schools didn't feel like a step forward to me. Yeah. And so I was married at the time and uh, decided that that was a good time to step away from teaching and have children. And so I, um, I, I did decide to embark on a master's uh, just before I had my first daughter, which, so I got it finished before I had her. So I started, I must have started after the five-year point. I think once I'd, so I'm thinking back a little bit now because this was 10 years ago, um, okay. when it got to that five-year time and I felt like I had a really good handle on what I was doing and my head of maths position, I pushed myself to do extra study. And so I decided I'd do a master's with a thesis component and some subjects. So you did that while you were teaching, like on the side? Yeah, so I dropped back from full-time to 0.8. So I was four days a week and on that one day I would – I would do my uh, university study. And so I got that done right before my first daughter, Rosie, was born. And so I took maternity leave, as you do, and, and intended to go back, but um, found that I slowly, well, I'm not even sure if it was slow, but anyway, developed postnatal depression quite um, strongly, but it went largely undiagnosed and, uh, yeah, I struggled through the first um, year to 18 months of her life with sleep and uh, really just wearing my body out with feeding her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and well, then must I, have been tough. Oh, really tough. I can understand why they torture um, people in prisons, you know, like you hear about in prisons. With sleep deprivation. Get tortured with sleep deprivation because was that long-term sleep deprivation was tortuous and it it leaked a lot of uh, vitamins and minerals from my body which meant that even when my sleep improved I was just not the person that I was before and all that energy I had for teaching and the passion that I had was not there Um, or I, I didn't have the energy for it I knew the passion was there underneath somewhere but I couldn't connect with it and so um there began a long journey of self-care to work out what was going on for me and how that applied to my teaching but then but just to me really it was a a desperate kind of state and so I decided after 18 months at home with my daughter that I would go back to teaching and that uh, my husband at the time who was also a teacher would take leave so he stayed home with her for um, most of a year and I went back to the same school in the same roles and the same classes four days a week. Yeah. Was it still uh, undiagnosed at this uh, stage? Yes. Oh, it's always been kind of that way. Well, Just you know, in hindsight that you figure out that's what it was. But yeah, in a way. You know, the times where I got screened, it is just a verbal set of questions that they screen you with. And so depending on how you're feeling on the day, the questions – you know, can be answered slightly one way or the other. Not that I was intending to mislead anyone by answering the questions, but I always came out borderline. And so there wasn't really anything to act upon, but things clearly weren't right for me either. Um, And so ultimately it came down to me having to manage myself and I started reading everything that I could about depression. and, uh, And so I decided I would go back to work because I had felt good when I was a teacher. Um, but it actually made it worse, the pressures of returning to uh, a high-performance job because that's what teaching is. You know, demands are high. 
and expectations are high and you really need to be on the ball and and in touch with yourself and what you need to keep yourself healthy in order to be a functional teacher. And that uh, year I went back after Rosie was born really brought home to me just how critical it was that we look after ourselves. Um, otherwise, your effectiveness uh, is limited as a teacher and that shows up so quickly in the classroom and then every class becomes a battle right it's not fun anymore you're not really there with the students you're just trying to survive through to the end of the class or the period and um and that then creates in my experience a kind of negative feedback loop where you struggle more with your classes because you're not feeling on top of your game and your classes are harder and so it makes it harder again and then you're in this kind of struggle cycle with your students and that whole beauty of, you know, meeting your students where they're at and creating a space in which learning can occur and, you know, that zone of proximal development, if we can talk theory, that Vygotsky talks about, you know, that sweet spot where, you know, the work's just at the right level and it's not too advanced for them losing kids and it's not too easy and you're losing other kids, you know, that holding a class or holding a space for a class so that you're in that sweet spot requires that you are in your own sweet spot Absolutely. as much as possible, right? <laughs> um, yeah. And that year that I was uh, not as well as I could have been uh, didn't actually make things better for me. It made things worse. And by the end of term three, I was struggling to see how I would make it through to the end of the year. And I had a conversation with my husband around that, but you know, he committed to being away from his job for the whole year. So there wasn't really a way out. So I, I rested as much as I could on those school holidays and then was like, okay, I can get through this term and then he'll return to work and I'll come back home. And um, I made it through a week, I think. Um, and there was quite a drive at this stage for me to get to this job because I'd moved also. About a 70 or 80 kilometre drive for me to oh, get to wow. um, on on farm roads um, yeah. and I distinctly remember at least two occasions either towards the end of term three or in that first week of term four where I considered running my car off of the road into a tree Wow! because I, I was so exhausted and so confused and not knowing not what knowing was any other way to out. me. And no one else was, no one was saying anything. No one was saying this isn't okay. Or they at least weren't saying it in a loud enough voice that I could hear it through the fog. I'm not quite sure which is the truth there, but nobody pulled me up. And I think by the Friday of that first week, the bell went and I knew I needed to go to a class and I couldn't get out of the chair in the staff room. And I just sat there and I sat there and everyone else had gone to their classes and I was still sitting there just in a daze. I still remember the feelings. This this was, well, she's nine and a half now, my daughter, so this was about eight or nine years ago. One teacher finally came up to me and said, I don't think you're okay. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm meant to be in this class, but I'm not there. That was all. All I could do was observe myself from outside. I was really not not in a good space. And um, the principal came and got me and took me to his office in which spot I promptly cried for I don't know how long um, and he sent me home and I didn't go back again I couldn't go back again I went to see a doctor and she 
can't remember if she prescribed antidepressants, but I did end up going on them later on, even if I didn't take them straight away. She gave me leave, paid leave, which I took, and that got me through to the end of the year. Uh, and I, I couldn't go back after that. And so, yeah, it's been a long time. I'm back teaching now, but yeah. only in a casual capacity. I don't. I still don't feel like I'm able to go back because of my propensity towards depression and other things like that, mm. other mm. mental issues. As a lot of you know, imaginative, creative people often are. There's a there's a darker side or a shadow side to that creativity as well, and that's that's that you can get really low. Um, for me to manage that, like I'm not on um, antidepressants anymore because I manage it myself by being really in touch with what I need to do for my own self-care. And one of those things is not having a, um, a contracted role in a school. Mm, the ongoing um, long-term pressure. Yeah, yeah, that's it. There's that level of expectation pushes me over the edge really quickly. Yeah. Um, whereas when it didn't used to before. So, you know, I guess one of the takeaway messages is that life changes yep. and you're not always the same person and what you could do in your 20s might not be the same as what you could do in your 30s or your 40s. Yeah. Um, and to be kind to yourself because teaching is a, I was going to swear there, but I won't, teaching is a really, really hard job um, and we all want to come away from that job doing well. You know, we all want to come away and feel like we've done what we could for the students or that, you know, there was a light bulb moment for one of them or that, you know, that we hit the spot. And to come away day after day not feeling like you're achieving that is... Um, Demoralising. It is. It's almost abusive to yourself. So um, what I'm saying is find the level of teaching that works for you so that you can come to the job with passion. And then it will reward you as well as the students. Absolutely. And, I mean, before we go on, I, I really want to thank you for sharing that story because there's a lot in there and it's it's clearly, um, you know, you've opened yourself up to be vulnerable and, and I really appreciate that because it's such a powerful story that I I hope other people can take a lot from. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're – well, for me personally, part of my – um, message is to remo- is about removing shame around vulnerability and around telling real stories as well because <laughs> people do hit the wall right and I know a lot of people that do and and push through and then things get worse or um, or they take a step back and then they might be challenged for that but you know we've got to life has to be done at our level and in our sweet spot otherwise you can't be anything for anybody else and you're teaching somewhere that that shows up really quickly. Absolutely. And comparing to, you know, how the, the teacher next to you in the staff room is coping mm. is pretty much a fool's game because mm. they're coming from a completely different place, you know. Yep. They may have completely different background and experiences. They may, you know, they may be in their 20s and you may not be, you know. There, there's a million reasons why the person sitting next to you in the staff room is is going to be able to cope differently or they may not be and they just may not be being vulnerable. That's the other thing and that's... Mm-hmm. Um, they might be doing that whole I'm going to put up a wall and I'm going to push through and I'm going to be hard about this. Exactly. And that's yeah. one of the things I want this podcast to do is to open up this conversation mm. um, so that we're really talking about it because if we can prevent other teachers from, you know, getting to the, the really dark places that you've ended up in some of those moments in your life, Carolyn, um, that's pretty yeah, much my number one that's, goal. That's a win. 
Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, mm. yeah. I don't wish those dark times upon anyone. No, mm. absolutely. Um, so, what happened then between basically getting to that breaking point and now you're back teaching? I'm. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's probably a, a fair bit more to that journey and your your personal <laughs> well, growth. Well, there's a fair whack of time in yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, um, but there was. Quite a bit of that time, I was stuck in a really grey area where I tried to move forward and I couldn't, and I I couldn't go back either. I really was stuck, and for me, that's one of the definitions of depression. I have a whole lot of my own definitions of depression because the standard medical ones just none of them worked for me. So yeah. I I, and I, tend I to be my own personal exploration into depression and not just postnatal but um, just depression in general as a state of being and what that really Mm. means and the conclusions that I came down to and I talk about this on my blog is that it boils down to a stagnation or a um, a kind of low-grade greyness that that becomes chronic and you can't see your way out of it and um Ultimately, the way to get out of it is to take one step at a time, you know, common sense advice, um, and to try something different, even if it's just one tiny little different thing. There's a tiny spark of inspiration and enough of them in a row add up to moving yourself out of depression and into a place that's different to before, I admit. I'm not the same person I was, but um, somewhere where there is life again and you know that could have that would have happened more quickly had I not had another daughter in there, and um, and I was trying personally really hard to hold a marriage together that ultimately ended, and so that um, that took a lot of ultimately it took a lot of courage to end that, but um, it took a lot of self care and a lot of looking within me to what I was believing about myself and the people around me and. And what it was I was creating or or contributing to, and whether that was really aligned with who I really was, and that that took a lot of years amidst the depression to work through a whole lot of that and to find what made sense to me. Um, and now I've got that really strongly, um, and I'm able to make decisions from that place that I know is um, is aligned with me, and I know what those things are for the most part. Feel them. Whereas when I had depression, I couldn't feel them. I was just, I kept looking outside of myself to find solutions, you know, and I didn't want to take antidepressant drugs and I refused them for, I think, two years. Um, And then I just got tired of still feeling the same after two years of leaving teaching. So this is two years post that breakdown. I, um, you know, I did stay back home and I gardened and I sewed and I knitted and I looked after our daughter and... Um, and I made new friends, but I still had that that sense there that something wasn't right, and I still felt grey, and I still couldn't pull myself to that same level of passion that I used to have. And the times mm. when I would try to go back and do some casual teaching, because I did, and I, I had several sort of mini roles and days here and there at various schools, uh, I would struggle to make it through to the end of the day because I just didn't have that to give. Yeah. Um, and that's because I I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't giving to myself what I really needed. I was, yeah, I was very stuck. Mm. And, um, 
Sorry, ask your question. <laughs> I was going to say something. Off track, I think. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Um, so, and you mentioned your blog a little bit earlier, and I, I don't know if you want to talk about that and about you know the, your coaching that you do, but um, I was hoping that you might like to share your knowledge and expertise, you know, a little more specifically around that idea of getting unstuck and, and living by your values and examining. Uh, you know, beliefs about the self um, because I, I really believe that will be of great use to teachers who are grappling with stress and the demands of the job and perhaps feeling like they've lost themselves or they're a bit disconnected from um, who they really are. Um, mm. So could you talk about that a little? Oh, I could talk about that a lot <laughs> and I will. Um, Excellent. Uh, yeah, so uh, all my reading and delvings, some of which headed in a, a quite a spiritual kind of direction or what you could call it that, I suppose, because I really was open to um, anything that I could get my hands on that would give me a bigger picture of depression and, and being stuck and, um, and feeling disconnected, all those things you just mentioned, than what doctors would tell me. And what I would read about in, say, the teacher's magazine that we had in Victoria at the time or, you know, that the, the department was passing on, um, all of that was too superficial for the level of disconnection that I felt personally. Um, and so I needed to look outside of the box um, in order to find answers. And I'd, I didn't limit myself uh, as to where I would look for that guidance and advice. My only... Um, rule I suppose with myself was that I would give it a go um, and see how it felt to me and see if it made things better or if it made things worse and uh, that it, it's a long journey well it was for me anyway mm -hmm. and that journey continues you know we're all on a journey all the time yeah <laughs> um, but the thing I found the one of the most pivotal or foundational I suppose um, things that I pin all of this on is all of my understandings on is that whatever we see in our reality or whatever we see around us in our outside world, whether it's the way our classes are responding or the way, you know, you're going professionally or the way you're going personally or the way your marriage is going or the way your parenting is going or the way your health is going, you know, all those physical external manifestations of life that you see around you is a reflection of your state inside. So if you are seeing, you know, and this is quite a, you know, Buddhist kind of perspective to come from, but it works. But I tried this. <laughs> I've done, I still try this. This is just, I come from this place because this is what works. Um, I was quite scientific in my um, risk-taking, if you like, and yeah. my trying of new things. <laughs> um, and so... As a science teacher, that would make sense. <laughs> I guess so, but it's also, it's this is part of me at my core. I'm discovering more and more as well. It's, it's not because of my role as a science teacher. This is just me <laughs> at a really deep level. Mm. Um, I'm quite methodical when it comes to being my own guinea pig. <laughs> yeah. um, so um, some of my perspectives are quite different to ones that people might have heard. Um, yeah, so anyway, so what we see in our outside world is a reflection of, of how we're going inside or how aligned we are with ourselves or how deeply we're caring for ourselves. And, of course, we can only care deeply for ourselves if we know ourselves deeply. Um, otherwise, you're going to be doing what society tells you or what magazines tell you is a healthy thing to do. But if it doesn't work for you, then it's not actually healthy for you, right? You're actually abusing yourself by doing something. So, you know, my example might be, um, let's see, there, uh, let's see, 
uh, well, let's go with sugar-free diets if you like. I did try that for a while, but um, I just found the stress involved for me personally with pursuing that sort of diet, even though it did make my body feel better, other parts of my life were really out of whack and yeah. it didn't um, You know, ultimately that wasn't a healthy uh, direction for me to take because it wasn't aligned most deeply with what is most important for me. Um, and so, you know, even things that, you know, you've, you've got to weigh up health um, information by trying it on yourself. You've That's got right. to be your own guinea pig in this life because everyone is different and everyone's unique and what um, works for one person is not going to work exactly the same for the next person. And so it's not enough just to uh, read. You really have to experiment and and try and see. And something might work for a while and then you've got to try something else. But um, ultimately this journey that we're talking about that I've been on, that everyone's on, is really a journey deeper into yourself. It's not a journey from A to B or a journey from, you know, first year teacher to head of department. The journey is a journey within. It's a deepening. Um, and the more we deepen and connect with ourselves, the more we're coming from a place where we're using, uh, I'm going to say something really cheesy, multiple intelligences, but I don't <laughs> mean it in a Harold Gardner sense. I mean it in a... Um, in, a, in the sense that we don't just use our minds to evaluate decisions or what's best for us, but we use our bodies as well. And we also use what we see around us, so what's reflecting out around us, to then give us a picture of how we might be feeling inside as well because we can be our own worst judge as well, right? We can't see how sick we are sometimes um, until years later and we look back and understand just how unwell we were. It's a bit like that, you know, frog in the boiling water, you know, metaphor that people use. Um, you know, it sneaks up on you and that's very easy in my experience for that to happen within the teaching profession because there's so much going on. Yeah. You know, it's such a, such so a crowded busy. curriculum. And, yes, that's it. There's so much to keep you busy that your focus very easily shifts off what's best for you inside and what's, you know, what's deep health for you and onto what do my students need, what do I need to mark next, what professional development paperwork do I need to fill out, what online survey do I need to do or what is it the principal wants or, you know, all of those things, that those hundreds of things that demand your attention every day. The, the real um, mismatch for me or the problem area that I, that I can see and feel after all these years in the education profession and from my love of teaching also is that all of those things, and we could debate how important all of those things are, but the reality yeah. is that that is part of the, that's that the job, part of the sense. profession, okay? That's, that's mm. what's there. Whether you like it or not, it needs to be done. Um, that is only possible in an ongoing way if you're coming from that place of deep self-care first because then you're going to connect with you first and then be able to express that in your outside world and what you see around you. So I guess what I'm saying from a from to get back to what I was saying a few minutes ago, if what you see around you is disturbance or disruption or uh, disconnection, there's lots of D words that can be quite negative in these situations I've discovered, <laughs> um, you know, if you're finding that your classes are a struggle and that you're, you know, you're putting on weight or your health is not so great or you don't feel good or you're not sleeping well or you're not keeping up with the demands of the job or your marriage is being impacted upon, whatever 
is causing you stress and is a problem in your life that you see around you, that's showing up a disconnection that's deep within you. And so you're not connected to you. And as soon as you can create even just the tiniest pocket of space where you can connect with you and go, actually, what is it that was really important to me before all this teaching stuff came along? Yeah. Connect back to that point, even if you have to go back to your childhood, but go wherever you need to go to your happy place and then connect with you inside and just go, okay, what is really me and what is really not? And then if you come from that place and make decisions about how you approach your classes and the way you speak to people or the number of days that you work or the sort of roles that you take on or even just the focus that you put on your schoolwork, you know, students come first and then that other paperwork stuff comes second, you know, even if you're just shifting your priorities based on what feels deeply right to you, then you tap into that deeper power that you have inside. That can shift so much of the dynamic. It might not change anything about the five days a week that you're working and the type of school that you're working in and the type of students that you have. But it changes paper, your experience. It does. It, it changes Absolutely. your perspective of your experience. And perspective is everything, okay? You know, we, we think we see things in one way and that that's the way it has to be. But in fact, all you have to do is shift yourself a little bit. And it's like you've just climbed a different mountain and you're seeing the view from a different direction. You know, you're still at the same crowded valley, let's say, with lots going on with that whole city there with students and everything's <laughs> happening. Um, but you're on a different mountain. So you're looking from a different point of view. So you see the buildings in a different light. You see that maybe... Some of those students are not quite as busy as you thought. Or you might see gaps in there of beauty that you didn't see from that other mountaintop. Absolutely. And so that ability to just shift the way you're feeling inside and where you're coming from inside to a place where it's more authentically you allows you to shift your perspective of how you see things in your outside world, you know, around you. And that makes a massive difference. That's, yeah. that's where the power is in your life. It's not about changing what that person says or how staff meetings are run. It's about changing you inside to a perspective that feels better for yeah. you. And if it feels better, then I'm going to swear again, you effing feel better, right? Exactly like, right. Better and because you feel better on the inside. Yeah. And because I, I mean, I, and I get it, but I, I think a lot of people are scared to mm. do some of that connecting because, yes. you know, and, and because school is so busy and, and mm. life in general is so busy that then when yes. we do have downtime, a lot of us choose, especially when we're feeling overwhelmed, to do some kind of... Yeah, to zone out. To, to distract. zone out, to distract, exactly. Yep. And, and it's because it's scary to have to tap in and actually say, actually, this isn't working for me or yeah. something's not no, okay here. Actually, this is not okay. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a scary thing to be able to say to yourself, I'm okay, because then you're like, holy shit, what do I do about it? What do I do with that? Does yes. that make something wrong with me? And what if, uh, well, how are other people going to treat me? And it can, it does open up a massive raft of, fears and voices if you like in your head absolutely and but I love what you said about um it, it doesn't necessarily have to mean that there's a total change in your external environment it, if you can no. change what's going on inside mm. you know it doesn't mean you have to quit your job and you know move to the mountains in Peru just to just to be happy like it, it doesn't mean that you have to change everything in your, your external situation you know, acknowledging that something's not okay, it can just mean not, it's not a just, it's not, <laughs> but it can mean. Still transformational. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But that inner work, that means the external situation hasn't necessarily changed, 
but your your experience of it, your perception of it has changed yes. and that yes. changes everything. Yes, it does actually. But you've got to, you've almost, well, your ego doesn't like that if I can talk in ego <laughs> no. terms. So you've actually got to try it yeah. and see what happens. Just try one small shift. Try, try some different belief. You might believe that student A is a bad student based on what someone else said or based on, um, you know, your experiences with that student. What if you flip that around and went, actually, student A is really beautiful in their own way and they have their own reasons for behaving the way that they behave. Just try that different belief on for a week and just see what happens. Exactly. Yeah, one little thing, one tiny thing. And what have you got to lose? Yeah, that student might lose the plot for a week. You can always change the belief back again. Um, but do the experiment and see what happens. See how that shifts um, the way you think about that student and the way you approach that student and then see if that changes the way that they then behave back for you. And it might change it in a way that makes it worse, but yes. you've learned then something. You'll know. Okay, then you'll know. You'll know what not to do. You've learned something new. You're not just stuck in that same stagnant pattern. Absolutely. Well, I mean, this is absolute gold and I think we might have to get you back on the podcast. But, um, just before we wrap up, um, what are your top tips for early career teachers in particular, but teachers at any stage of their career? If there's anything that you haven't already shared tonight, top tips that would help teachers stay happy and healthy and set themselves up for a thriving career? Mm, mm. My tip would be, well, number one tip comes from the place of come to your first year or within your first year from a place of from a place of passion and a, a detailed or deep understanding of why education, and I mean that in a really broad general sense is important because if you don't believe that education is worthwhile, you, you I don't think you're ever going to be a good teacher. And I know that's, you know, potentially a negative thing to say, but um, teaching is an, it's an art form more than it's a science in my experience. And art's got to come from the heart. It's got to come from a place of passion. And the more you can connect to that deep passion within the more you can ride out the superficial speed bumps, which I admit are everywhere in your first years, <laughs> they are everywhere. Yes. Um, and so your ability to focus, and um, and I don't mean focus with your eyes, but focus your your direction, your thoughts, your energy on that passion that you have within for making a difference for students, the more... Um, a, you might be frustrated by some of the hampered efforts that go on in schools, but the more you can see that they are just speed humps and that um, that a, a long-term perspective on teaching and a deep connection with why education is important um, can help you ride some of those out. Yeah, and the other purpose. ones, there's two, that's one. The yeah. other one is that deep connection with yourself in terms of what is it that I deeply need in order to... I'm going to talk about vulnerability here, be able to maintain my own vulnerability with students. And this is something we haven't really gone into depth on. We did talk about me sharing my story and being vulnerable in that way. 
But I've found over all my years of teaching that the best way to connect with a student or a, a class of students is to be vulnerable within professional boundaries, of course. Yes, you don't know, yes. respect life or anything. No. But, um, you know, vulnerable in terms of how you're going as a way of connecting with them. And you can only be genuinely vulnerable if you allow yourself to... Um, to connect deeply with yourself and care for yourself mm. in a deep way. Yeah, are you being vulnerable with yourself in your yeah, quiet, exactly. solitude are you moment? Saying to yourself, actually, I'm not okay today, but I still need to show up for the job, and that's okay. You know, because sometimes there's well, sometimes there's lots of days like that where you're like, I'm still not really okay, um, or today I feel a bit sad, but I can still get my job done. And then, you know, today it feels like my whole life is unraveling, but I think I can still show up and do my job if I need to. And I'm going to connect with that unravelling too probably and go, okay, what's what's really going on here? And then move forward from that point. So being able to connect with vulnerability to your own emotions and what's going on allows you to connect with students' emotions as well when you encounter them in your classroom. And so, you know, if you understand that you're someone just like everyone who loses the plot sometimes... <laughs> Um, and, you know, doesn't want to do the work um, and feels stubborn, um, then you'll recognise that in students when you see that behaviour back from them and you'll be able to come from a place of compassion and then you've built a connection with those students rather than a disconnection by just going straight for a discipline model. So, yes, I, that's my second piece of advice. I love Deep it. self-care for you allows you to connect more authentically with mm. students. And so what I, you know, from your whole story and particularly from those last two tips, uh, I really sense a, a, a placing of priority as priority, mm. not so much the, the mental chatter but the heart murmurs, um, the things that internally, you know, more deeply we are sensing and feeling as opposed to that kind of ego-based thought and you know the the stuff that our mind throws up to us all the time when when there's a battle between heart and head because mm. so often some of that's coming from stuff other people have said to us or mm. stuff we're afraid other people might think about us yeah. and it's not actually you know our our true our truth it's not our truth and so no. what I'm what I hope people will take from your your you know wonderful story today is that connecting in with yourself at that heart level allows you then to connect to others at that same level, that deeper level, mm. a little bit removed from the necessarily, you know, the kind situation of, of the day. Pace of stuff that needs to be done. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and when you can get to that place, all the frenetic pace of the stuff that needs to be done starts to be able to be managed better. And that's shifting you know, perspective really you're moving from the mind mountain to the heart mountain if exactly. you like <laughs> yeah oh that's beautiful thank you so much carolyn mm, you're what welcome an amazing it's also <laughs> what an amazing story and i really i personally really have connected with what you've said and i, I very much resonate with your journey and your um, your self-awareness and, you know, the discoveries that you've made about yourself. I feel like I've made a lot of similar ones um, mm. in my journey. Mm. Um, 
and I'm certainly going to be following you online. Um, <laughs> are you happy to share where people can find you if they want to keep track yeah, of your journey? For sure. So I, I have a website um, at called A Life Transformed, which is just www.alifetransformed.com.au. Um, and I've been blogging there for a few years. And if you read back to the really early posts, it's actually about my depression as a mum. So some yeah. of that stuff that I talked about. And then um, not a lot of it's focused on teaching per se, um, but it's really about that journey within and um, shifting a lot of my own perspectives to places where life started to work again rather than got stuck in depression. Um, and a, a lot of which I now bring to the teaching that I do do. Uh, and it's made me a much richer person. So, yes, you're very welcome to. Um, and I do offer coaching services in transformational teaching, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of a paradigm, if you like, that I've made up. But uh, for me, teaching is most potent and effective when you're um, – creating a space in which a transformation can can occur in a student. So it's not just, you know, learning how to multiply fractions yet, let's say. It's about actually um, allowing a shift in the students to that other perspective so that you can tap into their deeper truth and deeper wealth. Uh, and so, yeah, that's something that I offer because that's um, what's deeply important for me and it kind of calls to me as yeah. well. I offer that because if something calls to you, you need to go there. <laughs> that's right. You need to listen to those those heart you murmurs. You do. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you so much, Carolyn. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. I'd love it also if you would leave a rating and review in iTunes and share it with your friends. This really helps the podcast reach more people and together we can spread the message of teacher wellbeing to create thriving school communities. Don't forget there's also a review competition to celebrate the start of the podcast. So if you leave a review in the iTunes store before the 31st of March 2017, you'll go into the running to win some great prizes. Show notes for this episode can be found at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. You can also find me at facebook.com forward slash selfcareforteachers and on Instagram my handle is at selfcareforteachers. So come along and follow me there.